today's episode is presented by State Bags. State Bags makes beautiful, well-made, inclusively cool products while using the power of business to get back to this shift the narrative around social injustice. For every State Bag purchase, State Hand delivers a backpack packed with essential tools for success to an American child in need. But their commitment goes beyond simply material donation. State Bag State Bags has your back. And part of that commitment is making a difference in local kids' lives. To get you ready for your commute or wherever you're traveling next, State is offering our listeners 15% off their next purchase at statebags.com using the code POD. That's 15% off your next purchase using the code POD. P-O-D at statebags.com. State Bags, they have your back. Hello, everyone. This is Brandon with the Para-Unity Podcast, and you are listening to the Monster Legends Podcast. Monster Legends Podcast. In the dark of the night, comes a shivering light to guide you. All along the twisted roads in your mind, darkish goals. Hello and welcome to Monster Legend Podcast. I'm your host Tanner, and this week is Monster Legends of Washington. Washington, they have um, quite quite a bit of uh, cool cryptids there on the uh, for instance there is a giant octopus according to local legend the largest octopus in the world lives below the Tacoma Narrows Bridge dive deep into one of Puget Sound's most beloved mysteries in 2013 Locals voted on 11 wonders of Tacoma through an online survey released by the city. Staples like Museum of Glass, Union Station, Stadium High School were obvious picks. Historic uh, landmarks like beautiful Bright Park and Tacoma's Living Museum, Fort Niskinley also made a cut. But the tenth wonder was perhaps the most obscure. It was indeed an unofficial city icon but one most locals have never seen, the giant octopus under the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. For generations, Tacomas have been telling this story. Some say it's a 600-pound creature once coined King Octopus by the News Tribune that tackles divers in the murky waters beneath the bridge. Others know it to be a scientific phenomenon, seeking nothing more than solitude on its ocean throne. Is a myth, a blurry imitation of fact. The giant Pacific octopus is the largest octopus species in the world and does live in the Puget Sound. Divers also see big ones on the rest in the rapid tide below the narrows. A giant Pacific octopus can live only three to five years. How, so how can one survive the decades it's been whispered about? Is it just a mythical creature that's been lurking the imaginations of believers? Depends on whom you ask. 
regardless of whether King Octopus is alive or exists, only in the sea of our minds. Its legend lives on in Tacoma lore. Fascination with the animal serves as a great connector for the community. The king is rooted in Tacoma history and often poses as a muse for city artists. And a real giant Pacific octopus is a vibrant, mysterious creature marine biologists long to better understand. That's cool. There's a giant octopus under the bridge in Tacoma. It's pretty cool. Speaking of giant sea creatures, Caddy. Meet Caddy, the largest monster of the Pacific Coast. Not all mythical sea creatures swim in the waters of the Scottish Islands. The Pacific Northwest is no stranger to folklore and unexplained phenomenon. Its jutting mountain ranges and dense forests covered in thick moss are like a beacon for tall tales and creepy creatures. And while beasts like Sasquatch and Bigfoot dominate this particular area's mythology, a lesser known and more disturbing one stems along the shores of the Pacific coast, a reported giant sea snake lurking in the coastal waters. Nicknamed Caddy, the Caborosaurus is essentially a 20-foot mega serpent slithering around the northern part of the west coast. Its head mirrors that of a horse and its body like an overstuffed eel. A long row of ridges protrude from its spine, webbed flippers located below the Caborosaurus neck and at the base of its tail allow it to glide through the dark, murky waters. In short, think twice before swimming that the slime grazing your feet is just seaweed. The Caborosaurus isn't new to the Pacific Northwest, though, in fact, it's part of a rich folklore history in this area, garnering more than 300 eyewitness accounts in the last 200 years alone. Most occurred in Caborosaurus Bay in Victoria, British Columbia, the bay where it takes its name from, but signs occurred even long before that. The Inuit once painted the Caborosaurus on their canoes in an effort to ward the creature off. It's the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest who first learned that the creature migrates to the Pacific coast when spring and summer a lot arrive. Reports of the sea creature carried through the 1930s when the Caborosaurus received widespread attention from after a clerk of the British Columbia legislator told the Victoria Daily Times that he and his wife saw something obscure in the water while out sailing. Major H.W. Langley described the creature they saw near the front of the boat as being a greenish-brown color. The published account did more than inform the public of what might be lurking off their shores. It inspired another eyewitness to come forward about his own experience. Immediately following Langley's account, F.W. Kemp, an unofficial, an official at the British Columbia Archives, discussed his own sighting. According to Kemp, while he and his family were sitting on the shore of Chatham Island Beach in British Columbia, they saw an extremely long serpent glide across the water. Kemp estimated that it stretched more than 80 feet. The more specific account, and probably the most entertaining, occurred later that decade, in October 1937. Workers harvesting the blubber of a sperm whale while in Naden Harbor, British Columbia, found an unmistakable oddity digesting in the whale's belly. And photos show great similarities to previous eyewitness accounts. 
but analysis of the carcass tissue revealed it was in fact only a baby baleen whale. Perhaps the most exciting piece of evidence in recent times came in 2009 when an Alaskan fisherman caught what he claims to be actual footage of the Kabosaurus. However, the silver's shaky footage are blurry and grainy and therefore questionable. It's still unclear whether Kabosaurus exists or not, but from San Francisco, California to Port Townsend, Washington to Yakuta, Alaska, Pacific Northwesterners still continue to spot and search for the mystical sea serpent. Yeah, there's like a ton of like lore and like from Alaska. Remember my uh, like Alaska episode? I talked about Caddy quite a bit. And I think I saw about California. Might have mentioned it. Uh, next monster we have is the Pacific Northwest tree octopus. The Pacific Northwest tree octopus can be found in a temperate rainforest of the Olympic Peninsula. On the west coast of North America, their habitat lies on the eastern side of the Olympic mountain range, adjacent to Hood Canal. These solitary cephalopods reach an average size measured from arm tip to mantle tip of 30 to 33 centimeters. Unlike most of other cephalopods, Tractopus are amphibious, spending only their, their early life and the period of their mating season in the essential aquatic environment. Because of the moistness of the rainforest, and specialized skin adaptations that are able to keep from becoming desiccated for prolonged periods of time. But given a chance, they prefer resting in pooled water. An intelligent and inquisitive being it has the largest brain to body ratio for any mollusk. The tree octopus explores its overall world by both touch and sight. Adaptations, its ancestors originally evolved in a three dimensional environment of the sea have been put to good use in the spatially complex maze of the Comforous Olympic rainforest. The challenges and riches of this environment and the intimate way in which it interacts with it may account for the tree's octopus advanced behavioral development. Some evolutionary theorists suppose that aboriginal adaptation is what laid the groundwork and primates for the evolution of the human mind. Reaching out with his one of his eight one of her eight arms. Each covered in successive suckers, a tree octopus might grab a branch, pull herself along in the form of a locomotion called tentaculation, or she might be preparing to strike at an insect or small vertebrae, such as a frog or rodent, or steal an egg from a bird's nest, or she might be even examining some object that caught her fancy, intensively designed to manipulate it with her dexterous limbs. Really deserving the title, sensory organs more than mere limb, in order to better know it. Tree octopuses have high sight compared with humans. Besides allowing them to see their prey and environment, it helps them in their inter octopus relations. Although they are not social animals like us, they display to one another their emotions with the ability to change the color of their skin. Red indicates anger, white, fear. While they normally retain a modded brown tone to blend in with the background. The reproductive cycle of the tree octopus is still linked to its roots in the waters of the Puget Sound, where it thought where it is thought to have originated. Every year in spring, tree octopuses leave their homes in the Olympic National Forest 
and migrate towards the shore and eventually their spawning grounds in Hood Canal. There they congregate the only real source of time in their lives and find mates. After male has deposited his sperm, he returns to the forest, leaves the female to find an aquatic lair in which to attach her strands of egg clusters. The female will guard and care for her eggs until they hatch, refusing even to eat and usually dying from her selflessness. The young will spend the first month or so flowing through the Hood Canal, admirably inlet and as far as North Puget Sound before eventually moving out of the water and beginning their adult lives. Although the tree octopus is not officially listed in the endangered species list, we feel that, that it should be added since numbers are at a critically low level for its breeding needs. The reason for the dire situation include the estimation of a habitat by logging and suburban enroachment, building of roads that cut off across the water when it needs for spawning, predation by foreign species such as house cats, and booming populations of its natural predators, including the bald eagle and sasquatch. What few that make it to the canal are further hampered in their reproduction by the growing problem of pollution from farming and residential runoff. Unless immediate action is taken to protect this species and its habitat, the Pacific Northwest tree octopus will be but a memory. The possibility of a Pacific Northwest tree octopus extinction is not and unwarranted fear. Other tree octopus species, including the Douglas octopus and the red-ringed Medora sucker, were once abundant through the Cascadian region, but have since gone extinct because of threats similar to those faced by Pyrexpolis, as well as overharvesting by the now illegal tree octopus trade. The history of the tree octopus trade is a sad one. Their voracious appetite for bird plumes have exhausted all the worthy species of the family that Festinesis moved on to self-philotic accoutrements during the 20th century. Triotopus became prized by the fashion industry as ornamental decorations for hats, leading greedy trappers to wipe out whole populations to feed the vanity of the fashionable rich. While fortunately the practice has been outlawed, its effects still reverberate today as though millinery decorations brought treacherous numbers below the critical point where even minor environmental change could cause disaster. While efforts were made in the past to preserve remaining tree octopus habitat, they were met with resistance by the timber industry, which has traditionally viewed the tree octopus as a nuisance, both because the octopus favored the valuable moss-shredded trees of old-growth forests, pitting conversation needs against lucrative sources of lumber, and because octopus hiding among fell trees often gummed up sawmills and stained pulp bats with their ink. These nuisances led many loggers to regard tree octopuses as bad luck, resulting in the pointless killing of octopuses on site by logging camps in a misguided attempt to eradicate troublesome species. Anti-octopus sentiment so strong among loggers that some even began to fear the octopuses were prone to attacking humans. These fears were fueled in no smart, small part by gratuitous stories involving tree octopuses har- harassing lumberjacks and distressing damsels in northwestern theme 
pulp magazines in the 1930s and 40s, embarrassingly nipping and tangling or sucking the flesh off the heroes of men's action magazines of the 1950s and 60s. To this day, misunderstanding and fear of these gentle creatures can still be found among old-timers, although education campaigns and special octopus separators installing at sawmills have largely halted the practice of true octopus eradication. Wait. Or frequently asked questions about the tree octopus. Pacific Northwest tree octopus or Pacific Northwestern tree octopus? Pacific Northwest tree octopus is the correct proper name for octopus praxporolis. Pacific Northwestern tree octopus is Herenius, which is like Canadian geese instead of Canada geese. Octopuses or octopi? Both octopuses and octopi are considered simple plural forms of octopus, however, octopi has become accepted only because of its prevalent usage. It is technically incorrect. Octopus may be technically correct, but is a little used or accepted. See here for more technical explanations or watch this video. Uh. Aren't rainforests only found in tropics? Tropical rainforests are only found in the tropics, hence the qualifier before the name. However, rainforests in general can be found wherever there are both forests and sufficient rain. That is why they're called rainforests. The legal definition of a rainforest is a forest that normally gets no less than 1750 to 2000 millimeters or 68 to 78 inches of rain a year. Cascadia, our rainforests are called temperate rainforests since we are in the temperate region. Why are Sasquatch allowed to gather tree octopus if the octopus are dangerous? No one allows a Sasquatch to do anything. They just do it. Sasquatch has been gathering tree octopus since before humans settled in their habitat. They form a symbiotic relationship. We value our limbs and don't question this. Can I have a pet tree octopus? No. Tree octopuses are wild animals that will not live long in activity captivity. Either succumbing to sorrow, they yearn to swing freely, tentacle over tentacle, under mossy branches of the temperate rainforest, self-reliant, no one their master, at one with a capricious home. Also, they're impossible to keep on a leash. What percentage of profit from a tree octopus products sold on a site goes to this for protecting the species? None. Octopuses don't need your money. They need your love and willingness to write angry letters to editors demanding action. Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal, with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. Regardless, I'd like to donate money to help the tree octopus. How can I do this? 
if you must give money to ease your conscience, donations to help tree octopus should be given directly to tree octopuses. Here is how to donate. Travel to the Olympic Peninsula. If you're a minor, ask your parents first. Stand in a tree octopus's forest near a tree and hold out a dollar bill. If you stand still enough, eventually a tree octopus will come by on a branch, reach out, and take the bill with our suckers. So continue to return for more bills as long as you hold them out. They'll bring lots of singles. She'll use them to lie her den in the trees as the bill will soak up rainwater and keep her skin moist. Given the current value of the dollar, this is the most cost-effective way to help. Please note, don't give them coins. While they are attracted to shiny objects and will gladly take coins, toxic metals and coins, especially copper, can easily absorb into their skin and poison them. Paper money, checks, stock certificates, coupons, etc. are preferable and make best nesting material. I'm a student and my teachers are trying to convince me that tree octopuses are not real. Why are they doing this? Your teachers have been misled by anti-tree octopus propaganda from textbooks published. The book publishing industry consumes 30 million trees a year. Many of these trees come from logging activity on the Olympic Peninsula that is encroaching on tree octopus habitat. Efforts to protect the habitat and save the tree octopus are seen by some from the industry as a threat to their profits, increasing the cost of wood pulp used to make paper. Consequently, publishers, especially those in the politically powerful textbook sector, have embarked on a disinformation campaign across against the tree octopus. Unlike the timber industry, which is previous centuries fermented fear of them, then plentiful tree octopus to curt mass coins to stop their pollen products from being ink stained by octopus stuck in the millworks. But publishers are instead romantic tree octopus denialism. Since 2002, over 40 textbooks and teachers' guides have been published that call into question the very existence of tree octopuses and instruct teachers to work to propaganda into classes unrelated to biology or ecology, where it will more likely to be accepted uncritically. Furthermore, publishers have tied this denialism to the meme that the internet is making kids dumb. See, for instance, this press release from Pearson, one of the largest textbooks published in the world, trumping the dangers of the internet while including gratuitous tree octopus denialism. The industry's self-serving solution is that kids should get off the internet and, of course, read books instead. Book publishers hope that the youth of today will be the tree octopus denialist of the future and that generations like concern will end the tree octopus problem for good. Please don't fall for their hoax. What can I do to spread the what can I do to stop the spread of the tree entrepreneurialism by textbook publishers? First, think critically and ask questions about what you are being taught. What does the topic of tree entrepreneurs have to do with computer or library access? Why isn't it just being taught in a biology class instead? What are your teacher's credentials? Are they qualified to teach about solophods? Where did your teacher first learn about tree entrepreneurs? Was it from textbooks printed on non-recycled paper? made from old growth trees? Why are so many teachers across the planet suddenly so insistent on getting students to think the transposers don't exist? If they didn't exist, why would this even be an issue? Second, contact whatever agency is in charge of textbook procurement for your school. Make them aware of the tree octopus's plight. Accidentally buy books from publishers that use tree 
save for recycled paper. There's enough of a demand for textbooks that aren't printed on an expensive tree octopus habitat. Publishers will no longer have a reason to lie about tree octopuses. Ooh. Signing in 2012, May 16th. May 11th. My friends and I hiked up Mount Baker. Snow caused us to start two miles from the trail, and which respectfully was a stroke of luck. Almost back at the car on the 12th, I suddenly see something strange scurrying around the base of a tree. I couldn't believe it, my luck, when it ended up being the elusive Pacific Northwest tree octopus. I managed to get a little fish before it secured itself away in a small in a hole in the tree. December 16th, 2010. Hello. A few days ago, I stumbled across some information about the North Pacific Northwest tree octopus on the web. So I decided to look for a specimen in my area. So I discovered a tree octopus living comfortably in a tree near my house. I excitedly took out a dollar bell for its nest, left it at the base of the tree trunk. I dashed inside to get my camera and took a picture just before the anisophic little creature crawled into its nest. I've seen this tree octopus and maybe a couple others a few times since. I really hope this photo adds to your research. Sincerely, John C. Larson. It's March 24th, 2010. While enjoying a break from shooting one of my films, I was vacationing on the West Coast visiting a friend. In between our sensitive debates on international politics and the environment, we have to stroll the grounds of a, his estate. His home is set adjacent to the birth, beautifully scenic Olympic National Park. The air was tinged with smoke from nearby Constantine Fire, which was happening at the time. It wasn't long before I noticed something strange at my feet. An entire pod of 30 to 40 Pacific Northwest tree octopi were littering his lawn. Four creatures have also been driven from the moisture of the forest homes and desperately migrating towards the safety of the nearby Hood Canal. Carefully, we collected several of the dehydrated animals and tried to nurture them back to health, but to no avail. I attached photos of one of our octopi for you to raise awareness for the continued plight of the species. With love and support, specific Northwest tree octopus, Babette Bombshell. March 11th, 2009. Another day after a snowstorm, I was getting ready to shovel snow. I noticed some movement. I realized it was what it was. I grabbed my camera. I was only able to get one photo via for the snow octopus disappeared under snow. Living in New England, and I think they came from this far south or east. This photograph shows that tree octopus occupy are not restricted to temperate climates. Last picture also is possibly the only photo of a tree octopus nest. This is a proposed new species or New England ground nesting tree octopus, or simply New England tree octopus. Howdy listeners, I'm Chris, the friendly neighborhood keeper from Untitled Dice Game, here to tell you about our actual play Monster of the Week podcast. It features a group of hunters with strange talents who've been recruited by a secretive government agency to fight monsters. Each week we release a new episode packed with improvised humor, horror, and enough bad decisions to derail a train. Find us at UntitledDiceGame.com or search us out wherever you listen to podcasts. Dear sir, our friend is to bring your attention yet another threat to our dangerous native Pacific Northwest tree octopus. I photograph these species on a pot of bamboo, Japanese maple on my deck, north of Seattle. At this time, I am 
uncertain whether this invader is a Chinese bamboo octopus that came in on a bamboo and spread to the nearby Japanese maple or a related Japanese species that spread from the maple to the bamboo. Given the similarity between the coloring of the octopuses and the maple leaf stems, I suspect the latter. The Asiatic, the Asiatic invasive octopus is much smaller than octopus paradoxes with mature specimens measuring just 5 to 6 inches across from tentacle tip to tentacle tip. However, what's it lack in size and make up for in numbers? The maple and bamboo plants were just crawling with them. Lax inspection standards for horticultural imports are certainly to blame. I worry what the effects on the native species should the exotic species manage to spread beyond garden plants to greater fir forests of the area. Sincerely, Jonathan Griffin McGregor. That's Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've to the ag we've the agripelter. Leaving a benchful existence exists resist, resenting the intrusion of the logger, the agriculture deals misery to the lumberjacks from Maine to Oregon. Ill, Ill, Ill fares the man who tempts the pestile tree in which one of these creatures have taken up its temporary abode. The unfortunate is usually bounced, smashed, or pinned by a dead branch and reported as having been killed by a falling limb. So unerring is the arm of the agripelter. Despite diligent search, I have been unable to locate more than one man who has been the target for one of their missiles and yet survived to describe the beast. This is Big O. Kilston, Kilston, who upon a certain occasion when cruising timber on the upper St. Crow was knocked down by a pers- partly rotten limb thrown by an agripelter. This limb was so punky that it shattered on Ol's head, and he had time to observe the rascally beast before it bounded from the tree and whisked itself off through the woods. According to Ol, the animal has a slender, wiry body, the villainous face of an ape, and arms like muscular whiplashes, with which it can snap off dead branches and hurl them through the air like shells from a six-inch gun. It is supposed to feed supposed to feed upon the owls and the woodpeckers, the scarcity of which will always prevent the agripelter from becoming numerous in any locality. Finally. Probably one of my favorite, probably coolest cryptid monster from Washington is the Bat Squatch. Batsquatch is a flying cryptid that was allegedly sighted on sighted near Mount St. Helens in the 1980s. It resembles a flying primate similar to uh, the Haulu and Ogambate of Southeast Asia. Its name is a pomato derived from the words bat and sasquatch. A witness allegedly took several pictures of the creature. However, these creatures, or these pictures, have not been yet analyzed. Thus, cannot prove the creature's existence. The creature was said to have yellow eyes, a wolf-like muzzle, blue fur, sharp teeth, bird-like feet, and leathery bat-like wings that span up to 50 feet. In addition, Pasquatches is said to be nine feet tall and has the ability to affect car engines. 
this possibility as a possibly this is possibly a misunderstood sighting of a mothman considering it also affected man-made things like mothman can on april 1994 brian campfield was driving in washington pierce county when his truck suddenly died campfield said a large creature landed in front of him he said it was like a human not be tall with bat like wings and also sported a coat of blue fur. Ever since then, it has not been seen and skeptics dismiss it as a hoax. A possible second sighting was reported in 2009 near Mount St. Shasta in California. Several hikers witnessed a huge creature with leathery wings spanning 50 feet fly out of a crevice in the mountain. At first, eyewitnesses described the creature as having a head similar to a pterodactyl. However, upon reconsideration, the witnesses claimed it was more akin to a bat or a box. On June 11th, June 2011, Phoenix Torres was in his yard walking his dog. He went to pick up the dog when he saw something in the sky. He said the following, I said, I saw something flying in the sky. It had bat wings, blue fur, and had a face similar to, and had a face too. Eyes growing red. It was about nine feet tall at the least. I watched it. As I wa- after I watched it, it just flew away. On April 2014, an Art at Hoban High School, Arkin, Ohio, a second period Spanish class spotted a giant black mass zip by the window of the classroom at incredible speeds. Class claims it was about nine feet tall with a 20 to 30 foot wingspan. So that was some monsters of Washington, right? So some, some more about Washington real quick. Right? State of Washington granted statehood in 1889. Washington was named in honor of George Washington. It is the only U.S. state named after a president. It says coastal locations and excellent harbors and contributed to its role as a leader in trade with Alaska, Canada, and countries of the Pacific Rim. Majestic Mountain Rainier soars above Seattle and is the highest peak in the continental United States. Another Washington landmark, Mount St. Helens, erupted in 1980. The deadliest and most economically destructive volcanic event in U.S. history. Evergreen State is nation's leader and producer of apples is the home of the coffee chain Starbucks. Famous Washingtonians, Washingtonians include musician Jimi Hendrix, entertainer Bing Cosby, and computer pioneer Bill Gates. The state capital is Olympia. Population is 6,724,540. State size is 71,298 square miles. It is nicknamed the Evergreen State. The motto is Alki, which means bye bye, bye and bye. The shade tree is the Western Hemlock. State flower is the Coast Mordon State bird is the Willow Goldfish. Goldfinch. On January 26, 1700, a large earthquake 60 to 70 miles off the coast of the Pacific Northwest caused a tsunami roughly 33 feet high to engulf the Washington coastline. Ten hours later, the tsunami hit the main island of Japan with 60, 6 to 10 foot swells. 
in 1836, Barkas and Cecil Whitman set was a mission at Watapo on the wall. The Walla Walla River to bring Christianity to Katsu Indians. An increasing number of colonists migrated to the area, an epidemic of measles spared the lives of the white children but killed almost all U.S. offspring. Chief uh, Tukukat uh, and several other several members of the tribe came infuriated on November 29, 1847, killed the Whitmans along with 12 other settlers. The Whitman massacre, as it has become known, resulted in the Cayuse War and ultimately the dissolution of the Cayuse tribe. Seattle's Great Fire destroyed 64 acres and many businesses began on June 6, 1889, after a pot of glue from a cabinet shop burst into flames. An attempt at honoring her father, a Civil War veteran who had raised six children by himself after his wife died in childbirth, Kane resident Snora Smart Dodd garnered support for the first statewide Father's Day celebration on June 10, 19, 1910. Afterward, Dodd continued to press for national observance the idea for battles backed by President Woodrow Wilson in 1916 and President Calvin Coolidge in 1924, Father's Day did not become a federal holiday until 1972. Boeing's Everett Factory, where twin aisle airplanes are manufactured, is the world's largest building by volume, covering 98.3 acres and costing 472 million cubic feet of space. More than 100,000 people toured the plant each year. Washington is the nation's leading producer of apples, pears, sweet cherries, red raspberries, and hops. 2010 states apple harvest generated $1.44 billion. Three national parks and 68 state parks border Puget Sound experience 2,500 miles of shoreline and helps to generate $20 billion of economic activity for the state of Washington. Seattle Space and Hill, built for 1962 World's Fair, is an iconic part of the city skyline. It features a rotating restaurant at the top. That's fun. Well, uh, man, that's good. Thank you for, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, this is it for the states, right? Also, I'm gonna do like a. I'm gonna do something for the season finale. If I can get to some stuff going on. Uh, I might do a season, like a live stream here soon, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, thank you for listening, and have a good one. Are you looking for a new adventure? Did you ever want to visit the city where all your nightmares reside? Well, you're in luck! 
Join us, your tour guides, Christine and Jen, to visit Nopeville, where you will be personally escorted on an all-inclusive trip through the city and see all possibilities of terror and fright. You'll see all sorts of things on your tours, including, but definitely not limited to, the paranormal, true crime, the supernatural, and more. If you're into all that and enjoy a little dark humor, book your tour today and nope right along with us. Check us out on our website at nopevillepodcast.com to see where you can listen to Nopeville today. Hello, everyone. This is Brandon, the host of the Parunity Podcast, wanting to take a second to tell you about our show. The Parunity Podcast is your top choice for closing the distance between the paranormal groups. From ghosts to cryptids to ufology, we will discuss it all. The Parunity Podcast is aimed at promoting positivity and collaboration between investigators and is geared specifically for those in the field. But if you're not, you'll still get a kick out of the show as well, because you'll be able to think of it like ghost hunters talking shop. Tune in and join myself and all of our amazing guests as we entertain you with sensational stories of fantastic places, events, tips for your investigations, and so much more. And remember, you can find the Parunity Podcast on your favorite podcast directory and part of the Paranormality Radio Network. Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast, and we are excited to officially be part of the Paranormality Radio Network. If you're looking for a show with variety and are interested in taking deep rabbit hole dives into topics such as legend, lore, conspiracy, and creepypasta, all with a little bit of a storytelling, research, and personal experience twist, check out our show at paranormalityradio.com, fairylandparanormalpodcast.com, or through your favorite podcast player. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.